0: It's Jeff Mayhew, it's John Beatty, it's Politics and Parenting, where we talk about politics, but we talk about it
1: differently. John, how are you doing today? Jeff, yeah, I'm doing very, very well. I had the chance to drive through Haymarket this weekend on the back, uh, the way back from a little uh, class I was taking, and uh, you know, just good memories from our event in, at the Great Main Brewery, and I am looking forward to our next small business forum um, so that people can join us. I mean, like it's... Um, yeah, I was, as I was telling you, I was reading this um, Book of Lincoln speeches or something, and there's this plan of campaign in 1840. And I bet you know, you know, I, I bet you would say, well, the first thing on the list is to raise a million dollars. But no, it's actually the first thing is to appoint one person at each county as a county captain, and take his pledge to perform properly in all the duties assigned to him. And then after that, it's to just basically go through all the roles and figure out who voted and let those people know that there's an election and that they should vote for Abraham Lincoln. So it's, um, wait, hold on. I didn't hear anything about, uh, money. Isn't that amazing? Nothing, nothing about money. Um, just, just about, let me see, let me, let's see, procure the roll poll books from a separate list for each precinct, for all the names of all those persons who voted the Whig ticket in August to appoint one person in each precinct as precinct captain. And by a person, by a personal interview with him, procure his pledge to perform promptly all the duties assigned to him Deliver to each precinct captain a list of names as above belonging to his precinct and also a written list of his duties. Nothing about fundraising there. Um, <laughs> and what's this section captain supposed to do? He's supposed to see to each man of his section face to face and to procure his pledge that he will for no consideration stay from the polls on the first Monday in November. And then he will record his vote as early on that day as possible. So, As I like to say, uh, running for office is just filing some paperwork and asking for people to vote for you. It was no different. It's no different now than it was back in 1840 when good old Abe Lincoln was running for just a local state delegate seat. So, um, I just, it's it's just you know nothing. There's nothing new under the sun, and I think that's so much of what we try to talk about in this uh, on our our class and on this podcast is that these are the same problems we've been dealing with. And, uh, you know, I sound like you had a busy weekend yourself. So what were you doing this past weekend? I mean, just life, right. I mean, just the, yeah. uh, the week has gone by. I mean,
0: we've been, um, uh, so yesterday we, you we know, were trying to take a break just a little bit with the family, you know, uh, Vanessa and I, uh, we're both working at hard hits. Now we've done, we built out this, uh, catalog for the company. That's individual for schools, Um, This is the idea is to help the parent and uh, teacher volunteers at the school have uh, more information about how to order product and make it easier for them to get pricing and information about um, our services. And then the big thing about the catalog is to help teach the coaches, leaders of all the different groups, how to convey a message of hope and accountability through their spirit wear uh, to the kids, because that's what the school system, that's what the education system and we we we've talked about it before. COVID has been COVID was a strain on the American family and mm-hmm. the education system. And it hasn't recovered yet and it needs a lot of help. So, you know, that's what we're doing at hard hits to try to get that. And so we kind of finished out our catalog this week. Vanessa and I have just been working 12, 15-hour days, just grinding meetings with people. We're shooting social media videos for local small businesses. It takes a little a lot of time. And, you know, like, why do I do all this stuff? I do it for my family. So I can't forget them. So uh, on the weekend, I made a commitment to, like, try to put, not put work completely to the side, because if I'm being honest, that's just not feasible for us where we are. Um, But to put it to the side enough where my kids get the majority of my focus for, like, two straight days, you know, because mom and dad are focused at work five out of seven days already. Um, So yesterday... Our our you know favorite uh, brewery, uh, Great <laughs> Main, was having a a movie night. Now, it's hard with our family to uh, go out to the movies. It's really oh my expensive. gosh, yeah. yeah, it's incredibly expensive. Um, there's a lot of us. It's hard to find a movie that like we can all kind of watch, right? Um, and so Great Main was put on a movie night. They turned their inside into like a little you know, theater. It was kind of like a drive-in movie experience. Uh, really enjoyed it. But my kids are really excited about it, especially the young ones. And I told them at the beginning of the day, I came downstairs Saturday morning and I said, this is what our objective is. But unfortunately, we have a lot of like family work to get through. We're a team. Mom and me and you watch us, you know, because I take my kids with me to work. You guys see us work with all the different employees. All the different employees have different responsibilities, and um, we all work together to get this product out the door that makes us money, that allows us to have free time to go to places like Great Maine and have a movie night. So I, you know, I laid out the list of chores. I was like, you know, there's a couple things in the house that need to be cleaned: uh, the doors, baseboards, you know, all the greasy little fingers everywhere, and okay. that needs to be cleaned. So I put Julia and Eleanor in charge of that. The back of the basement had leaves in there and we had this old piece of equipment that needed to be moved. Um, I put Oliver and Sadie in charge of that. So they each had the responsibilities to do that. Um, we also had to prepare food, um, you know, basically prep for the week. So mom went grocery shopping. Um, I had some work I needed to attend to. Right. So while the kids were working on that, I was kind of prepping, the meals in my head. I built out the, the, I wrote the menu and wrote all the recipes for the jobs, uh, for the food. When Vanessa got back with the groceries, uh, we, I divvied out all the responsibilities for the meals. I gave Oliver the recipes. Uh, Julia uh, helped like clean as the, you know, the cooking was processed. Cause we weren't cooking just for like that dinner. We were cooking for, we were prepping for the rest of the
1: week. So we don't have to you know, be stuck. You know, on a late night. No, that it, makes a lot of sense. Like, it's good to good to have a plan. Good to have something so that, like, when five o'clock on a or six o'clock and goes yeah, no, around, I, you have you have some idea. Like, oh, this is what we're gonna have for dinner. Yeah, rather than, I, I tell my
0: kids, I'm like, you don't understand how much of your time and energy as a parent goes into what am I gonna make for dinner? What am I gonna feed my kids? Like, it takes up so much of your focus, you know. And so, like you said, put a plan together. And that was part of the deal. It was like look, you want to go out and have fun as a family. Like as a family, we have to take care of all of our responsibilities. There are seven mm-hmm. of us and we all eat a lot of food. And so it, it becomes like, we need to, in order for mom and dad to like work outside and do other things um, in the house or whatnot, I need the kids to step up and do, do things. Cause if you, you know, the old saying is if you want something done right, do it yourself. But my mentality with my family is, if you want to get a lot of things done and you want to get them done right, train your staff, right? Teach, teach your children, educate the process. And so part of that is scheduling, right? So that's why at the beginning of the day, I laid out, hey, we're going to divide this out. Part of it's teamwork and understanding. So I specifically partnered my kids together based on their personalities, uh, we've talked about it before. Julia's an active, Sadie's an active. So I put them on opposite teams. Uh, pa- uh, Eleanor's a passive, Oliver's passive. So they're on opposite teams. Um, that way they now balance each other out. I've noticed that Eleanor and Sadie work better together than Sadie and uh, Julia, or excuse me, Eleanor and Julia better than Sadie and Julia. And that's because Sadie just wants to challenge Ele- Um challenge uh julia at every turn and julia's doesn't want to be challenged because she's a teenage girl you know right <laughs> back yeah sorry. you know and so by splitting them up you put them in the best scenario to be successful right and i took the older kids along and i i explained i said all right and i told i just talked to the leaders i said you guys are leading i said eleanor and sadie your job is to listen to julian oliver julian oliver your job is to instruct them on how to do what you want done, and then to review it and make sure that it's done correctly. If you feel that it's above their ability, then just finish it for them. That's okay. If you feel that they could do better, then hold them accountable and say it. And if you get into trouble, you come get me. So basically a layered authoritative structure, mm-hmm. right? You're now the manager, I'm the boss. You handle this employee by teaching them and, you know, uh, showing them the ropes, helping them out if they need it. And if you run into any trouble, come get me. I'll help you smooth it out. It's fairly successful. Um, The kids did a really good job at, uh, you know, getting the stuff taken care of. I got really good positive, you know, reactions, you know, as a parent, when you ask your teenager to do something and they just get, (laughs) well, There's a, there's a small, uh, a slowness to the steps that that I just sort of like, Oh, okay. I mean, as a parent, as a parent, it drives me nuts. So I was excited that, you know, Julie and Oliver took to the leadership roles. I think what, I think they were like, Hey, cool. I get like, I got a helper instead of just getting chores. Now I got chores and a helper and I get, you know, a little bit less work for me. I've get this different responsibility. I feel older. They're like more empowered or engaged by it. Um, so they, they did a really great job. While they did that, I kind of worked on the office. As you can see, I got my my setup. Um, been cleaning out the house. Vanessa was able to work on the basement. Um, it's just, it's a mess down there. We've moved in in 2020. Life has been crazy. We accumulate stuff. We've got so many, we got twins. We got boxes and boxes of twins clothes and toys and stuff that we need to get to donations and go through that have just been kind of put to the side while we took care of other things that needed to be taken care of. Uh, And now that we're able to divide that responsibility out, mom and dad have a little bit more time, we can get more done at the house now. So um, dinner was fantastic. Uh, I really love watching Oliver in the kitchen and cooking with him. Because he's just he's, he really understands like, what I'm trying to teach him as far as like layering the different flavors, tasting the different foods, the appropriate way to like, uh, season a dish like he He'll, you know, we're doing pork. He's like, all right, we got pork. We got to like salt this heavy, right? Anytime you got it like a, and I'm like, yes, any, pretty much any type of meat, you got it to be heavy on the salt. Everybody, you know, that really cut it down, especially when it's raw. And so he, he's picking up on these different things. He's picking up on the different flavors that go together. So it was a really enjoyable experience. We got, uh, we did a slow roasted pork tenderloin, um, seasoned with coriander, ground mustard, um, and slow roasted and then jalapenos on top. And then we chilled that and sliced it for a sandwich with a jalapeno cilantro mayonnaise. So the pork went on first, then I put bacon and provolone cheese, toasted it off. Then I put a little bit of mescaline lettuce with the sauce on that. I slathered the sauce on the top of the bun and I put pickled red onion on top, and then closed it up, and it was delicious. And then we also made homemade ranch chips. Um, even when we were cooking the chips, I had the girls helping out, right? The twins—they love to be in the kitchen. They, they all day long, they were like, "Hey, what can we do? What's the what's my next responsibility?" Right? They're asking to be helpful. Now, sometimes this can be <laughs> difficult. Detrimental,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: because you know, like they want. They wanna do what they wanna do. They don't really wanna help. Like, cause I tell my girls, I'm like, sometimes the best help you can do is by standing and watching. Your job is to watch and learn. And then when it comes time for you to help, you'll have a better foundation than if you didn't watch and learn. But they just want to touch, you know, Uh, Mm -hmm. but I even I, you know, and that's part of making keeping them occupied is helpful to you as the parent, especially when you're trying to get a lot of things done, find something really easy for your young kids to do and then give them that. Um, So for this, we were uh, Oliver sliced the potatoes on the mandolin got nice thin sliced potato. We had them in the water, but before we drop them in the fryer, we have to pull them out individually. And I had the girls pat them dry with paper towels. Yep,
1: that's a key. That's key. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and that's key to making sure that you get a nice crunchy trip. Right. And then, but they loved it. You know, we were over at family today and they were asked like, what did you do yesterday? And they were like, we patted the potatoes dry for the, <laughs> for their homemade ranch potato chips. Um, so anyways, we got the dinner cooked. It's seven o'clock. So movie night starts at eight. We sat down for dinner at seven. Now, when I pitched this to Vanessa at the beginning of the day, she goes, we're never going to get everything done and out the door in time. And I said, aha, yes, we will. I will challenge my children and we will get it done. Trust me. Um, and they pulled it off. They did a fantastic job. It just, uh, it the reinvigorate. I can't speak today, John. Um, it gets me, uh, invigorates, reinvigorates reinvigorates yeah. reinvigorates that's the right word right um me as yeah. a parent you know especially when you're grinding along in the work you know if I'm being real sometimes I just miss my kids sometimes as a parent you just I don't know I think you forget that you're just a person and like your kids always see you as a parent and yesterday was a day it was like I want my kids to see me as a boss Right, as a as a different type of leader, not as a, you know, I'm your parent and I'm the one that's raised you and I know everything about you. Um, I know your strengths and weaknesses and all this stuff. No, I wanted them to see like what I'm like to work with, um, which is I'm focused, um, I'm disciplined, um, but I like to have a little fun, you know, and my and my kids uh being able to share that with my kids was enjoyable. Um, and then having the success of a really great meal at the end of the night was really awesome. And uh, Vanessa snuck out and got some candies that we took up to Great Maine. So we made it. We made it to Great Maine with like 15 minutes to go, you know, got there. um, Got a good seat. We sat down and we watched the movie. And I got to see like my kids were very well behaved, which was fantastic, you know, because two hours at a brewery. Um we've had candy and popcorn and root beer, and that's those are treats they're not used to. So that sugar influx, you know, as a parent makes me a little nervous. Um, but they they did a great job. Um it was the Goonies. So there were a couple parts of the movie I had to, you know, cover some
1: eyes with the girls. Oh, yeah, no, we we tried to watch the Goonies and I was like shocked at uh just some of the content in there for a for a kid's movie. It's like it's a I was it's a, uh, a mature kids' movie.
0: Yeah, I had it had been a really long time since I watched that movie, and you know, as parents, you you think you think you remember what a movie right. was when right. you were a kid, but you forget that as a kid. And I guess it's it's also kind of a good thing too, because if I didn't notice it as a kid or remember it as an adult, it's because I probably didn't understand, right? right? Like I didn't understand what was going on. And drawing the attention to it is almost worse <laughs> than just like letting it go, and and the kid just being like whatever, I don't know what the heck that was. That joke didn't land with me or that scene, you know. Um, But as a parent, there was definitely one scene in there. I did not want my girl seen. There was definitely gonna be questions if it was asked. Um, But my girls understand they're not allowed to watch everything. Like we have rules, Um, typically like we have set shows at the house that have parental approval and they're not allowed to watch anything else. And if they wanna watch something new, Daddy has to watch it first and get it approved or mommy. Um, So they knew the drill. If we said, hey, come here, they knew that they weren't allowed to see it and they didn't give us any fight. Um, And I think that's just like communication with your kids, you know, being open and honest with them, letting them know like, hey, you're you're, you're just not going to understand and you're going to ask questions that I'm not going to be able to tell you and you're not going to understand and you're going to be upset and I'm going to be upset. It doesn't serve anybody. And my girls are just like, all right, daddy, I'll just close my eyes. That's
1: too complicated for me. No, that's good. I mean, like it sounds kind of how we run our family. Like we uh, had chocolate chip pancakes for brunch this morning and uh, I, I was, flip, I was, I was running the griddle, but the kids were putting the chocolate chips on. And like, um, as you said, sometimes it's easier for them to like, not be right there. Cause um, someone kept unplugging the griddle uh, just because of like where the knees were and where the, the plug is in the kitchen. And I just said, you know, like after the second time, I was like, you just, you just can't sit there. Sorry. You're going to have to enjoy the chocolate chips. Uh, post-talk and not uh, before the before they go in the um, pancakes uh, but then I, as I was making dinner this evening little Genevieve was asking if she can help and she gets her little apron on and uh, I was just making a salad and I had these cherry tomatoes that we got from my, my mother-in-law's garden and they had the little um little like crowns on them like the little leaves that were still on there so I just said here Genevieve just pull the little leaves off the tops of them and that uh, she absolutely loved that That was like Probably the, the highlight every evening was mm-hmm. pulling these um, these dried leaves off the tomatoes, putting them in a bowl so that I could cut them and put them in a salad. And you know, it's just like trying to find something that that it's age appropriate that can get your child involved. And I think um, then they they appreciate the meal more. Um, and then, like you said, like you're you're trying to teach the kids like how you are as a boss. Like you know, that's how they're going to live in the real world uh, once they get out of the family. So it's so important for family cohesion now that everyone kind of pitches in because um, yeah, like it would be crazy for you and Vanessa and from Katie and I to do everything in the household. Like um, you need other, you need help and you've got a lot of little helpers that can help you. Um, but then it, when they go out to, to, to work on their own, you know, mm-hmm. in whatever profession that is and mm-hmm. whatever they do, they're going to deal with other people. If that's a boss, if they're self-employed or they're the boss, that's the customer. Um, so they, they learn, have to learn how to deliver some kind of, um, service, some kind of product that will make someone happy. Um, and there's no better place to practice that in the family where if something goes wrong, you know, if the baseboards aren't clean enough, it's not the end of the world, but it's an opportunity for you to correct them and say like, no, you really got to do a good job. And honestly, you know, at some point you realize like, it just makes more sense to do the good job now, rather than have to like go back and, and do it later. So yep. like f- building that, that virtue in there to, for your kids is, is also so, so important. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, the
0: other, you know, speaking of virtues building in, um, I think i I mentioned, I don't think I shared this on the show. maybe I shared this at my dad's group, but was, so a few weeks ago we had one of these family weeks and, uh, my son, um, when we sat down to dinner, we go to say grace and my son, Oliver asked to say grace. Um, and this was, this was pretty cool for me because this is the first time he ever did that. Um, it showed that he he was confident in his faith, um, wanting to, you know, share it with the family. And it, I was really, uh, really proud of him. And so this week when we sat down, I, uh, you know, I, I said grace and my focus of, you know, I wanted my, I want my kids to understand, like all that time that we spent together was a blessing, you know, mm-hmm. like it may have been work, right. It may have been hard and we may be tired. Um, but we now have this blessing and like this great food right um, in front of us. And it's like, that didn't, that didn't come from us. It came from a lot. It came from a lot of different people, but it came from mm-hmm. him, Right. And we need to, we need to thank him and realize that, um, you know, for with my kids, at least it's like, stop, needling down on the negatives you know you know even in yourselves you know like they'll 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 rip themselves apart as like i did this wrong or whatever and you know as parents sometimes we forget and and we needle down on their negatives because we're trying to correct and maybe we're overcorrecting and we're not letting them you know giving them the benefit of doubt but you know, it's a moment where you put yourself on the same level with them, right? Because three weeks ago, Oliver was saying grace, and this week, I'm saying grace, and we're both thinking the same person, right? Um, A good friend of mine, you know, he describes his relationship with his son is like, I'm your father on this, on this earth, but I'm your brother in Christ, you know, we're all, we're all learning, we're all growing, father, Mm -hmm. son, daughter, mother, every day. And just like we were a team in the family, you know, preparing the food. Yes, there was a hierarchy to it, but that hierarchy isn't because of, you know, it's not like Vanessa and I want to be in charge. <laughs> you know, like if we, if we do it like we're tired, you know, we would gladly be like, hey, you tell me what to do and I'll follow your instructions. Right, right. It gets, like I said, how much time as a parent do you spend just figuring out what to prepare your kids for dinner? It's ex- It's mentally exhausting. And, um, but it teaches them that we're, we're kind of just all this team and they're able to see like their younger selves in the twins Mm -hmm. and they're able to see their older selves in Vanessa and I, and I try to explain that to them like, Hey, you know, when, when you were two, when you were six years old, I taught you how to do the baseboards. Right. And now you're and now you're teaching your younger sister how to do the baseboards. And one day you're going to teach your child how to do the baseboards. And then that child is going to teach their child. And like that teaching, that thing that gets passed down, that's you like that's your heart, that's your soul, that's your labor. You know, it gives the the next generation the opportunity to be independent and take care of themselves and survive. Um, and while you may get frustrated, the mom and dad tell you what to do. You have to understand that it is. We're just like we don't want to have to tell you what to do. Like we want you to figure it out.
1: <laughs> you're right. It's not a power trip on your yet. Yeah. No, it's on a power trip on your and your side. Like you're, you just you're the ones responsible, and so you you know you got to dole out the responsibility to someone else. Like like you said, you gotta you gotta feed the family, so you will delegate that to to who's appropriate. But you know, it's not because you're Jeff Mayhew king of the world and everyone's just going to do your bidding. Like, you're just, you're trying to serve your family and you know that serving your family is done best in this way by uh, helping to teach um, so that, so that they can serve their families. Like that's, I think that there's um, something that perhaps the culture's lost, but the idea of like teaching your children so that they can teach their children, like it's having that sort of multiple generational view of all these things, it's having that long-term perspective, such that um, you don't cut corners right now, because cutting corners now is just going to lead to uh, worse things down the road. Um, and I think you could we could bring this back to politics, where there's so much uh, corner-cutting and short-term thinking for my bet, you know, quote, my benefit, rather than like what's best for my community, my state, commonwealth, my country the world. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of the critiques that are reasonable of capitalism are sort of like, well, it's just such short-term thinking and you're exploiting labor in a third third world country. And like, yeah, I, I think that, um, in a certain sense, maybe there is a little bit of exploitation. There's also sort of an effect of like, they don't need, you know, they may not need as much. And so that they're willing to work at a particular level that we with such a higher standard of learning of living, um, just we think that we can't live without that. So I, I think like there is sort of a, a need to really broaden our perspectives as uh, as all these things. And like the family is the best place to to grow that those habits so that you can take it with you wherever you go.
0: Yeah. And and you can take that, you know, and apply it to government in a different way in the fact of how we divide power. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I took my power and I divided it between. It's, it's divided between Vanessa and I, mm-hmm. uh, Vanessa took these responsibilities. I took these other ones, the rest of the power I took and I gave to Oliver and Julia. And then I divided that to Sadie and Eleanor. Right. And it just, it's, it's divided all the way down consistently. Um, and I think that we have, we have a power structure in our government that wants to do the opposite. It wants to consolidate, right? you know, in the, in the power we, t- we talked about it before. Power is supposed to be divided inside the government between the judicial, the legislative, and the executive. Um, however, in reality, power is divided into two. It's divided into the Democratic Party and the Republican Party because yep. all of those branches are elected by the party. So for example, I wrote an article this uh, last week or whatever I posted on the Substack, uh, Glenn Youngkin, the Parents Matter event. Right, I went to that. Um, you know, I may f- I make the point in the article. You know, I discussed the Parents Matter event, which we can talk about next. But you know, to tie it to this point, in the article, I make the point that Glenn Youngkin is basically a party boss, or somebody in Virginia is a party boss, and I think we might have even talked about it at the last episode that we talked uh, had. But he he endorsed John Sturrock. Um, who is my delegate. Now that is like, that's during the primary race. That's huge for John Stirrup. Now I'm not going to say that that's like the deciding factor in why John Stirrup wins the primary, but it's a big factor in why John Stirrup wins the primary. And I know this because I literally stood there on early voting and I talked to voters and I heard voters say, well, I'm voting for the guy who got endorsed by Yunkin." Aren't yep. you the guy that got like? So I was there with Quill and John Stewart, the campaign manager, and I heard this type of stuff. And I would hear, hear other people say, "Well, I only I didn't get any mailers from you, but I got a whole bunch of mailers from John. Well, John was able to get more endorsements from other party people, and they donated money to his campaign, so he had more money to spend on mailers. So essentially, what happens here is the executive branch of the government is dictating who wins the primary races of the legislative branch of the government so these two are not separated powers anymore they are those powers work together and they work together through the party and that's the republican party um and you know i'm not trying to like you know, I'm not throwing Stirrup or Quill or Yunkin. I'm not throwing any of these guys under the bus. They're just doing what literally everybody else does. But my argument to people is like, you should not be okay with this. This is dangerous. This is is a spoiled system. Like we've had this before. Um, They're not dividing out the responsibilities. And when you don't divide out responsibilities, you get two main issues. You get incompetency and you get corruption. And the reason that you get this to happen is because if the responsibilities aren't divided enough, somebody is gonna have too much on their plate, which means they're gonna make a mistake because we're only human, we're not a god, right? We give praise to him. We don't think we can carry the world on our shoulders. And that's, you know, that's my biggest argument about uncapping the house, right? You got 435 people, they should recognize that they have too much weight on their shoulders and they need help. They should be coming to the people and be like, hey, we need more help, right? And then the other thing that you get is corruption. And why do you get corruption? Because you have less eyeballs on holding the people accountable. You know, the power is concentrated into a smaller group which means it's further away from the people they lead. Again, back to the uncapping the house, right? If you've got one representative that represents 850,000 people, they're never going to be able to meet with their representative. Their their constituents. Their constituents are never going to be able to meet with them. Therefore, it is really difficult for them to understand them and for them to hold them accountable. You throw on the extra layer of the fact that you gotta go through the party to meet with your representative. It's like, it's a gatekeeper. And so in the article, I explain the two uh, party bosses, Boss Tweed and Roscoe Conkling from the Gilded Age, right? And how they kind of doled out power. And I make the question, I go, you know, is Glenn that? You know, and does he even know or is he really just like a good guy trying to do the best he can? Because what I hear when I'm in around a lot is, well, that's just the way it is. It's just a game. You got to play the game. And my argument is, well, you don't play you don't just let somebody change the rules on you constantly and make them build them in their favor and just say, okay, I'm going to keep playing that way. You know, my my biggest pet peeve with the Republican Party is I go to meetings and I talk to people that are working to try to elect officials. And what I hear is, we're doing this thing now because the Democrats did it. We were against it. Right, before. Right, right, yeah. You know, the whole, that whole Yunkin voter, early absentee ballot thing. Like we were, Republicans were hardcore against this until they were for it. Mm-hmm. What I hear, when I say this, I go, you're just doing what the Democrats do. And they go, you're right, because they're doing it. So we have to do it and we have to win. And I go, how are you different? If like, you have to understand that the difference between the parties is not, it has never been the, what the parties want to get done at this moment in time, but it is how the the power is supposed to be divided. Okay. A Republican party is about divided and separated power. A democratic party is about uh, funnel power right? It's about getting 51%. If you're a Republican and you are lowering your standards to the Democrats, then like, what is the difference between you and a Democrat? Like, I just don't understand it. And, you know, when it comes to Glenn, he's a really rich guy. And what I saw at that Parents Matter conference was somebody who is authentic, articulate, and a strong leader, who has a really poor team working around them, because it was an event for parents. Right. I'm a parent. My wife's a parent. We took off the day from work, and he was 45 minutes late.
1: Parents, my does my parent- and it's it's not like he's in session or something. Like he doesn't have anything going on full time right now. Like the the legislature's gone. Uh, he has no bills to sign. Um, all he's got to do is like outreach events like this. So um, I think it's, you know, it's one thing when you're 45 minutes late and you're like in the middle of of February or March or something, but this is campaign season. This is a key event. And the fact that you, you just can't, it's not just him. again, like all these politicians do it. It's one of my biggest pet peeves. Like they say, show up at 10 o'clock for door knocking. We'll we'll get started immediately. You show up at 10 o'clock and you're sitting there for an hour and a half waiting Mm -hmm. for the managers to be like oh we didn't fill it Figure out the literature i don't you know let's get these walkbooks set up like it's not just him but it is such a um it's such a uh not disservice a disservice but it's um it's um
0: it's disrespectful to disrespectful it's disrespectful <laughs> if you're gonna put on and, and look this is every Yunkin event is late like everyone that i've ever been to is is on time and a lot of that most of the events that i went to was when he was running for office and i gave him a pass for that like you try to jam pack in and I, but like, at some level, the people managing the schedule have to do a better job. Like they just don't care about the people that are waiting for them. Like right. 45 minutes in an auditorium with me and my wife, we had to get a babysitter for our kids. Like, then you've got the extra event. you like, it's an extra hour and a half of your time. Our mm-hmm. next event was at four o'clock. I barely made it there on time. Okay. And the event was supposed to start at one. Like I didn't play, I didn't block that time off. Um, and I shouldn't have had to, you know, uh, and I had, you know, there were teachers in the room that I know that are friends that were texting me and being like, this stop, it starts promptly at one. They were like, it's going to telling me right out of the email for their invite. And I'm like, Oh bro, you don't know. You've never been to politics before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't care about us commoners. <laughs> no,
1: that's but, right. They're just, they're letting everyone get in so that they can. And, uh... and so it's hard to throw that on
0: Glenn's like, you could throw that on Glenn's shoulders, but at the cause at the end of the day, it is his fault. He should hire better staff. Like this is a common problem. If you're a business that runs events, then you should have your events start on time. Right. And if your business is running events that don't start on time, it's probably going to go out of business. And the only reason it doesn't is because he can, can't, he can, he can fund it all himself, right? right? right. Um, and then so we go into the the, of the event itself. They gets started. There's three speakers up there. They're moms from the area. And the main topic is social media usage of children. Two of the people said that they don't know much about the main topic. Two of the panelists on there, again, I'm a parent who took time out of my day to come to this event to get something as a parent out of it. What did I get out when you put panelists that don't know about what you came to talk about? Glenn was literally like, I almost felt bad for him at a moment. Like, I feel like if I'm Glenn, (laughs) Glenn smart, he's got it. I hope he's smart enough to realize how bad that went for him. And I hope he walked off the stage and went to whoever put that event on and like, was like, bro, you, you hung me out to dry to like, I asked questions to the panelists and they're like, I don't know anything about this. Where was I supposed to go with that? He went to the, he went to Alicia Andrews, who was in the room, who works for him. Speaking of spoil systems, she did a lot on his campaign. And, um, you know, and then he went to the audience and the audience was unprepared for the topic because we didn't really know, like, we didn't really know until we showed up and we didn't realize that we were going to be part of it. He asked questions where nobody answered. Um, He was able to pick people out of the audience to speak, but they were put on the spot and they just weren't prepared. Um, So they didn't, you know, maybe the person said, talked about something that was completely off topic or maybe the person was just like, I don't know. I came here to learn, you know, like I didn't come here to talk. Um, And so I kind of felt bad. I felt bad for him. I felt bad for the audience. I felt bad for my wife. I drug her out, you know, to that event. I told her that was, you know, what was going on. Um, I feel bad for the teachers that were there. And, you know, Matt, his, his book came out uh, filthy rich politicians, right. And he dictates, or he, which, he, which man, the Matt, Matt Lewis. Lewis. So this is Matt Lewis, uh, his new book, filthy rich politicians. Um, it is, it's, ba- you know, I think what he says is the book is about how the rich get elected and the elected get rich. And in the book, he, talk, or he talks about how, um, I think it's, I can't remember the exact quote now because I'm, I'm kind of missing it, but something like a, a ridiculous majority of con- congressional people are millionaires compared to us or make X amount more than the American family, right? Just It's just showing the wealth disparity between the average American family and the Congress, right? They're up right. here. And like, this is all about Congress and the Senate and, you know, presidents and stuff. And Glenn Youngkin is none of those things. He's not a congressman, but he is really rich. And, you know, Matt talks about in the book, it's not necessarily that it's a problem that rich people are elected. It's kind of good. They're successful. We want successful people to be in there. It's the fact that they're all rich and they only talking to themselves and so at some point, if you're only in your own little bubble around other rich people, you you probably get disconnected from the common folk, if you will. You know, mm-hmm. the regular people, the people that came and waited 45 minutes to speak with you or to speak, to to listen to you have a, you know, debate or a dialogue back and forth with a panel. And um, maybe, maybe Glenn struggles to, regu- to like communicate with regular people outside of his circle. Maybe the people around Glenn are the party party bosses. Maybe they're the ones throwing out the, the endorsements and whatnot. The, the other thing that happened at the event was Glenn acknowledged all the people in the room running for office. All of them were invited. You invited me. <laughs> You're in Loudoun County. And those people that I've I've asked to volunteer for In my district who live in my district, they didn't invite me like Mm -hmm. I asked all the time. I want to be included in anything that's going on. Let me know what's going on. They didn't send me an invite. I got it from you and I show up and they all got acknowledged for being there. And at the end of the day, that event had nothing to do with parents. That was a campaign event for Mm -hmm. those people. The majority of the people in the room were running for office. There were not very many parents there. The other people in the room were the standard hand-picked people that do your party stuff. Were there parents and teachers in the room? Absolutely. Did they know what they were going for and were they satisfied when they left? I don't believe so. And I talked to them. Um, And it brings me to
1: like... Well, let me just just say, you're making it sound like like I was personally invited and I just, I I mean, I I was going to go. I couldn't make it because there was some... Network outage. Uh, in right. My, at, my, at my day job, you know, I I had to show up for work. Uh, no, that was actually forwarded to me by someone else, so it wasn't even in, sent to me. Um, and if I had not heard about it, uh, t- there's no way I would have known about it and sent it to you. Like again, like who is the kind of people that you're bringing to an event like this? It, it truly isn't really about the parents. It's about like the right people at the event, so you can get the right image and you can get the right press release and the right social media post and the right. Uh, screen craps and stuff, so that this is, you know, it'll go in the mailer. So it's like Glenn Youngkin was at this uh, parents' rally. Oh, speaking of that, hold on, stay right there. <laughs> All right, the, the kids clean the kitchen
0: already. Um, so the mailer came out already. I already got it in the mail. Did you really? Yes, the state Senate representative running my district. He So Glenn Youngkin was also at Swirley's that day for another thing. Like I said, the whole day was a campaign event for the people running for office. The executive was campaigning for the legislative. And what are they doing? That's, that's freaking party control. That's concentrated power. That's Democratic power. That is not Republican power. All right. And so the mailer already came out. Glenn Youngkin and this candidate. In my hair, uh in my hands already happened. Oh man, I can't believe I forgot to pull it aside. But it's so funny that you mentioned that because you're like it's a game, like it's a game, it is not serious, they don't care about parents, you know. Like, come on.
1: <laughs> no, it's it's just so sad. I mean. Um, I was going to say, like I think I mentioned this before, one of my favorite websites on the, is the FEC page where you can, I mean, it's a Ballotpedia page. Some website has like the list of people that sell fund for all these campaigns and just the number of millionaires that run and end up losing. Um, it, It's a lot, you know, there's a lot of people with money. But I think it's, it's um, I think one of the things about Youngkin, and I think this is one of the things that Trump has is there's sort of, like Youngkin talks about his story, like he was um, working in a restaurant growing up, like, he kind of pulled himself from his bootstraps, metaphorically, like, he wasn't born into money. So obviously, he's got sort of middle class um, upbringing and stuff. So he can mm-hmm. speak that language. But I think like you said, like you just, if you spend all your time, and this is really talk about members of Congress, like if you spend your whole time fundraising with rich people, that's the people that are in your ear. It's not the people in your district, unless your district is 700,000 people that are all millionaires, which maybe is like, Miami or New York city, Manhattan, but it's like, you just, you, you don't have the, the people in your ear. Like you, you could say like the parents matter slogan, like, what does that mean? Like, it's an emotional appeal. Um, but if you're not actually talking to parents and understanding like what they're going through, other than, you know, you get a couple of parents. I think like young Kim was successful because he picked up a bunch of parents on his campaign that could sort of really explain to him like what was, what was going on. So he could bring that into his messaging, but if you if you don't have those people anymore, if it's just sort of like I'm going to keep riding this wave and I'm going to keep shouting these slogans, but you don't have the meat behind it, um, it it eventually rings hollow and it's disingenuous. Um, yeah. And then I think that's where you're this sort of pseudo populist uh, movement that you've got behind you loses steam, and then you just become like every other politician where you're putting on stage events for well, uh, other people.
0: So, and you're, you're right. So we talked about the event itself is for this other thing, but it doesn't mean that you can't do it like genuine. Mm -hmm. Like I probably wouldn't have noticed that it was a campaign event if it wasn't so poorly run. Yeah. You know, like if, if, if they had panelists up there and had a serious dialogue that I walked away with any type of information that I felt helped me as a parent, or with some real
1: serious like questions or thoughts and like, like engagement. Or I maybe if he notice. had talked about like the things, he, the education things he did the past, past uh, term um, so that that parents would have appreciated, you know, like that got that his talking been points in there.
0: He definitely got his talking points in there and the stuff that he got done and the stuff that was getting blocked. Like he mentioned that, okay. but again, there was no, there was no dialogue around it. Like it was like, I did this thing. You know, again, that's that's concentrated power. That's a king speaking down to me. You know, like that doesn't ring to me as a citizen, you know, looking for help. Um, but yeah, like it, it was just so poorly done. And again, it's like, it's so hard. I mean, we've both been candidates. It, you can't do everything as a candidate. We just talked about it as a family. You
1: can't do everything as a family. You got to divide the thing out. What's, well, that was in the 1840 plan I just read. Like, you don't, you don't do everything. You have delegates that help you. Like, you right. appoint a precinct captain. You appoint a county captain. Like, this is part of the process is you do have to build a coalition of people behind you. Um, it, it's yeah, and just, they, but what separates, like,
0: what's a good leader and what's a bad leader? One that hires well and trains well. Mm -hmm. And can have a staff that does a good job for them so they don't have to do everything. Again, back to the old adage is if you want something done right, you must you got to do it yourself. But you can't do everything. No one can do everything. And that's such a silly rationale to have, you know, it's like you better be focusing on training and getting or hiring better staff. And he's got the money. Like there's gotta be better people out there that can run events, you know, for this, or there's gotta be better people in the community. Like there were people in that audience that would have been better suited on that stage with him. And he, he has no idea. Like he's Glenn Youngkin. Like I wouldn't even expect him to know the people in that. That's where it comes down to dividing the pe- uh, power. The people that run this, these events, the local politicians, whatever that's putting this on, they need to. Dr- they need to drive out like some real serious, you know, you know, panelists. And it's not even to say that the panelists were bad. Like they were smart, educated women that had thoughtful <laughs> things to say. Right.
1: I felt bad for them. They were they were put in a position where they were asked right, about- because they didn't know the questions beforehand, and they just got surprised. And I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So
0: I, uh, you know, I I think that I don't know. Like I don't think anybody really knows who Colin Youngkin is, and um, it, that's really hard to. It it would be really hard to know, anyways, right? Without actually speaking to the person, but as a citizen, like, I'll be honest, like I I worked really hard for him to get elected governor. Like I, I we talked about before, I've spent a lot of time away from my family putting in work, but I spent a lot of my weekends working for him, you know? And it's disappointing that his voice matters more in my district than anyone in my district. Mm-hmm. And when he endorsed the candidate for delegate, he answered the question, do parents matter? No, my, I don't matter. My vote did not matter the moment that Glenn Youngkin endorsed John Stirrup, And I don't know why he needs to endorse anyone. Like why should any politician endure, endorse politicians from cross you know, divided power? Like, I mean, we should, that that's what somebody should run on that, putting in a rule, like you can't even do that anymore. Separate the parties out between the the legislative. And the, if you're going to have competing parties, they should at least compete in the right direction. You know, they should compete against each other, the legislative and the executive. They shouldn't be, you know,
1: joined together and like funnel the people's power away from them. No, that's what something I thought about when I ran. Like, you know, you always read like, oh, endorsed by so-and-so. But at the end of the day, like, it doesn't matter that much. It's not like it's, I mean... I guess a couple key endorsements matter. Maybe like the, well, other I mean, thing. but straight but, up, but, I, well, hold on. They absolutely matter. And
0: because with the endorsement comes the money. Okay, when you get endorsed by Glenn Youngkin, you get the spirit of Virginia packed behind you as a delegate. And I've spoken to candidates, and that's the way that they pay for the mailers. Otherwise, they don't raise enough money on their own to pay for the mailers, and they wouldn't be able to compete in any type of competitive, like, blue district if they didn't get that money from Glenn Youngkin. They're completely, like, in debt to the executive power.
1: Yeah. Sorry, but that was, no, I was just saying like, when I was running, I, I kind of made an effort, uh, I made a, a conscious decision not to seek endorsements just for the fact that like, you know, I'm running as myself, like, I don't need someone else talking about me. Um Maybe that was a mistake in the grand scheme of things. And that, that affected <laughs> me. But, but I think like, you know, I, I, I do like, I believe that you really should think about the person in office, because that's the person saying I or nay for a particular vote, you know, the end of the day like you've got you have free will you have agency you can make up your own mind and yes someone may have given you a million bucks um and you may that may be sitting in the back of your mind as you're coming up for a vote but at the you know it is you as a person who votes um you as the the person in the office and like you really gotta you know that should weigh heavily on your conscience and um I, i just think like we what's it you, you sell your inheritance for a mess of pottage like there's just too many people selling their their votes for a mess of money yeah yeah um yeah how about that for a second i'm not going to sell my mess of po- my my inheritance for a mess of pottage well i mean you, you could run that jeff
0: i have mentioned it like i when i when i tried to I think I mentioned on the last episode when I tried to run for Congress, you know, I told people and they were like, Hey, I can't support you. This other person supported me. So I have to support them. Like it's total quid pro quo. It's total Mm -hmm. spoiled, you know, whether they realize it or not, like, Look, if the rules that you're playing by are corrupt and you are the one that is their job to rewrite the rules, then change them. Don't just lean into the corruption, you know, like, again, then you are no different than the thing that you're upset at, which is, you know, a lot of Republicans are upset upset at Democrats, right? Like, you know, that's the big uh, rivalry in our country right now. That's the big division is between, you know, these two political parties, it's so bad, you know, families split apart over this yeah. type of stuff. Like, it it's it's hard. But I think more and more regular people are become disillusioned with the parties and are stepping out. And they're kind of seeing things through like clear glasses. And they hear something like, hey, uh, when the governor endorses the, the delegates, that's the executive and the legislative working together. And that's not Republican power. That's not how it's supposed to work. That's against what James would have wanted, you know? Right. Um, and they go, oh yeah. Now that they've stepped out and they've had that glass shattered, they hear that and they go, that makes sense. You know, I was, uh, I was talking with somebody who was at the Parents Matter and I explained my perspective of things and they go, yeah, I wasn't like, <laughs> it's not that they were, you know, like I didn't think about it that way is what they said. Mm-hmm. But I also, I, I didn't walk away Excited about it either, you know. Like they didn't have anything good to say about it. And then when somebody comes in and they analyze the things of why they didn't have anything good to say about it, they go, "Oh." And that's, you know, locally, I guess one of my issues is I read three articles that were written about that Parents Matter thing from the local papers. In my opinion, they weren't true. Like they didn't basically
1: press releases. I mean, yeah, it, it,
0: it looks, it reads, it reads as a press release. Basically, they were in the room maybe I don't know I don't know, who, mm-hmm. you know specifically um and they took their press release and they wrote they wrote down quotes from people during the event they wrote it into their article around the press release that was given to them and bada bing bada boom you know um and like what do we call that when uh in the in the gilded age in the in the uh, spoiled system era do you remember what that type of journalism
1: was called um Oh, I don't know if there was a term for that. I just thought it was like, that was the way they did things. I mean, there was the party papers. That was, was the... It,
0: wasn't it, isn't that yellow journalism to a degree? Yellow journalism? Oh, I didn't know that. Isn't term. that what it was? I think maybe I'm getting my terminology wrong here. I got to look this up real quick. You
1: would know better. I just, I mean, I remember uh, muckraking was a key term, but that's, this isn't muckraking because... No,
0: no. Muckraking would be somebody
1: writing the truth. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and it's look it's it's not for me to say that like what I saw was the truth, but like uh, my perspective should be seen by people in the district, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's nobody out there writing a different perspective, and who's to say that they're the truth? Especially when it's so blase, so like very clearly written as a press release. It's like it what what is this? There's no heart in it. There's no information for the for the. Uh, what you McCall it? Well, I
1: mean, you—it is the truth in the fact that there was Glenn Youngkin. There was a pa- parents panel. According to you, he asked questions that people didn't answer for. I mean, like that is the truth. Whether or not you want to report about that, whether or not you want to put that in a press release, like that actually happened. Um,
0: right. Yes, that's true. And so it is yellow jersey is is the correct term. Uh, techniques may include exaggerations of news events, scandal mongering, or sensationalism. By extension, the term yellow journalism is used today as a pejorative to decry any journalism that treats news in an unprofessional or unethical fashion. Um, I wasn't trying to throw the words unethical or unprofessional out. I was just trying to point out that it is sensationalized in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) And it's not really, I don't know who it serves, but.
1: Well, I, I mean. I think we know who it serves. It serves the uh, people at the event who are running for office who then get to say like, "I'm." they can, they can then put parents matter on their yard signs. And they can say, I had an event that said parents matter. I mean, like, that's what it is. Well, I guess I meant from the, from the
0: papers point of view, like, I don't know oh. what is the local's papers. You know, I've talked to some of them. I mean, there's, you know, I'm trying to be nice about the journalism industry. It's hard. I know it's hard to make money, especially for local people. A lot of it's just staffing issues. And mm-hmm. honestly, that may be it, right? Like that, it just may be stashing issues. Like they just don't, they didn't have anybody at the event to cover. They sent right. somebody to write, take notes and quotes, but they didn't have an actual journalist to cover it. I don't know. Um, I did pitch that article to the, you know, to local papers and- As an op-ed or as a
1: journalism piece?
0: I really don't- like, this is, I'm not a journalist, right? Like I just, I saw something that I thought people in the community should know as voters. And I wanted to share it with as many people as possible. Opinion, journalism, whatever you want to call it. I wrote, right. I put it out there. Um, one person actually said they were going to publish it. And then they just, they didn't. And they didn't call me back. And
1: I don't know, like, maybe I said something wrong. You know, I don't <laughs> I don't get it. Someone but... got to him, Jeff. Someone got to him.
0: I don't know. Okay.
1: You're going to show up in a gutter somewhere and, and Haymarket. And then.
0: Well, I mean, my thing is, is
1: like, uh, if, if local journalism
0: is struggling, if you got somebody that's going to write for you, like, and show up at events and like do it for free, which, you know, I would, (laughs) like, even if they paid me, I would, I would take the money if they gave it to me, but I would also do it for free. Right. Like, again, my mission is not for anything other than to get information to people. So they know what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, And I find it really difficult to make that happen because, like, people don't want information to people. Like, they want to control information and keep the group small and,
1: uh, you know, I don't know. Because information is dangerous. Maybe. Maybe. No, I mean, it's about control. It's about control and power and uh, staying in power. And I think what you've been saying about trying to bring it all into one central place so that some just one person can wield it or one party can wield it um you know that's what's going on yeah yeah it's like uh it's kind of
0: like hard to take sometimes you know you get frustrated Mm -hmm. and upset about it and like you 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 feel like there's no hope you know because like the people you talk everybody's just like they're either so far in the weeds with it, they can't see it or they see it, but they just don't care anymore and they don't want to help. And so like as a person who's trying to divide out power and like bring on more people to like help carry the load, it can be overwhelming at times. Um, And like, you got to be, my biggest thing is what I've learned through this is people want you to be uplifting and happy, Mm -hmm. but they are upset and angry. Right, and but they don't want you to be upset and angry, like that's not okay. You're not allowed like if i'm and i'm not I'm not even a politician right now, right? I'm not actually running for office, I'm just doing all this community work, but I mean i'm like I can't complain. like nobody wants to hear about your griping about your uh your delegate not getting back to you, and I'm like, I mean, I guess not, but they should care because it's their delegate too how much work are you willing to put in to get your voice heard? You know, like if you got a real problem and you need real help from your representative, like if I'm doing all this work and can't get heard, what do you think the chances of you getting heard are? You know? And it's like, Mm -hmm. it ain't about me. It's about us. (laughs) And, you know, I'm just like walking the walk to like show you the path of like what you would have to go through if you wanted uh, to, to make some change in your community. And, uh, and it's not easy, you know? Um, and then the other thing is like, people want to, I think it's just like the way we communicate the kind of, they'll dig into your mistakes really quickly. Right. You know, um, you, you work really hard on something and, you know, you throw your heart out there. And then like the first thing you hear back is, oh, well this happened or what did you do? And it's like, yeah, I'm aware of all that. That's actually why I put this thing together, right? Like I recognize that mistake in the past. I'm trying to grow from it. And this is my plan to step forward. And I'm just communicating with you. So, you know, what's going on. And, um, you know, it's like, you know, with my kids and I told this to Oliver and Julia, when they were working with them, it's like, if you, if they're doing a good job, tell them they're doing a good job. If they're making mistakes, give them better instructions. Don't point out their mistakes. Don't tell them they did it wrong. You know, like it was your job to teach them. And, you know, the idea is like, if you want somebody to do good, shine a light on the good. Like if you want somebody to be good, encourage that behavior. If somebody's put a lot of work into bettering themselves and, and, and growing and doing all this stuff, like don't needle in at their old past mistakes. Be like, hey, I like this new thing that you did. Keep with that. Like, that's kind of how I try to operate. Like, I listen I listen to anybody around me who says something positive, And I follow wherever those points go. And I go, this person liked this thing, so I'm going to do this thing again. Because I like that person, I respect that person, and I want that person to, they heard what I said, and it worked. So I'm going to do that again because maybe it'll work with somebody else. Um, if somebody's like, hey, you made this mistake. Da, da, da. I'm like, I, bro, I
1: know. Like, don't we all know when we make mistakes, mm-hmm. right? Like, we can. <laughs> well, sometimes. I mean, I mean sometimes I mean, it does. So this is what I think. So sometimes it does have to get pointed out to you that, that right. a mistake was made. Yes. Um, That's but the I accountability think accountability part. But I think that the problem is like you don't get the chance to make up for it. You don't get the benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, instead of it being like, oh yeah, that was a mistake. It's not like no, that was a willful omission on your part. Like you. Right you meant to do that. And you right. knew exact. you had perfect foreknowledge. You knew exactly what was going on. Like that's, I mean, that's what, that's the whole context for when someone comes up and says, Hey, that mistake was made. It's not to allow you to fix that and to get better. They want you to know that they caught you red-handed and they knew exactly they're in on your conspiracy and they're going to, you know, let everyone know about it and uh, and uh crush you. Yeah. Well, and- <laughs> I don't think that's always the intent. I think it's just the uh, way that I think when it's people when people point out mistakes in politics, that's the intent. Well, in politics, because if if they don't if you know if if um if they know a mistake was made, but they like they don't mind so much, they're not going to let you know. Like they let you know because because well, they so want to.
0: That's the other thing. Put like, you on notice. Well, that's the other thing, especially with politics. And uh, I just watched the the finale of Succession, and this played into that as well. They hold information. Like, Mm -hmm. they make a mistake, and they don't tell you the mistake. Then they tell you the mistake later. (laughs) Like, when you're doing something else. It's like that moment where you've stepped up and you've grown, and you're you're sharing that vision and that accomplishment with somebody that they pull up and they're like, hey, I knew about this thing three years ago, and I didn't Mm -hmm. tell you. And I'm telling you yeah. about it right now, because you screwed up, and I'm upset about it. And let's talk about this thing right now instead of the other thing that you want to talk about. Right. And like, this is classic oh. that's classic politician. you know? And it's like, what is that? That's a distraction. That's controlling the narrative. That's changing the direction of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Isn't that willful, right? No, <laughs> or, it's, it, on their part, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll say it could be both ways. I, I think I think it's some sometimes it's just, maybe whatever was said digs into your insecurity. So you dig back, right. And you, you know, we're, none of us are perfect. We're all flawed. Um, So maybe, maybe that's the reason too. Um, Maybe it's good intent. Maybe you really thought that that was going to be helpful information and you just didn't really kind of think it all the way through, you know, shoot. i you know, how many times I spit my mouth off? And try to pull those words back (laughs) because I know the moment I said it was like that wasn't constructive, that wasn't helpful, you know. So I think it's a it's a blend of everything, you know. Um, But as somebody who, like, I don't know, I'm in a weird position in life. Like, I think most people have bosses, they get promotions, they get good jobs, uh, they have coaches, they get awards, you know, whatever. Small business owner uh, fighting the corrupt, you know, <laughs> machine in a, like a small time community, there are no wins. There are, there are no wins for us, uh, in our, in our endeavors. And, uh, when you throw things out and, you know, you get daggers back sometimes you go, uh... but then you have to remember like the people throwing daggers, they're like, they're not actually listening to you. You know, like they just, right. And they have
1: an investment behind those daggers that,
0: yeah, but
1: you know, it is what it is. <laughs> it's life so uh speaking of trying to grow the community i think this past week you had the what do we call it the um evening with the madison republicans uh, yes the taste, of old, country taste in of old country
0: so it was great uh we had small business owners from the community there um craig and victor uh gave a little talks about you know their contributions to the madisonian team and why they joined it was really nice to see everybody. Uh, Taste of Old Country is a really great venue. Um, it actually brings up a good point because uh, we, were, we were just talking about Yunkin. So the small business owners that were there, you know, one of their big issues, data centers, which we talk about here. But like second, day or, second layer onto the data centers for the small business owners is real estate costs, mm-hmm. commercial real estate costs because of the data centers and because right. they come in and they overpay for real estate so they can have this. They've jacked up the prices for everyone else. So, for example, the business owners, they had saved for a really long period of time to buy their own place, to plant their business where they live in their district and invest. And then the prices ballooned and now they can't afford it. And so they're, they're you know, like that's really frustrating. And, you know, back to Yunkin, like he cuts data center deals all the time. And like, who if Youngkin is not going to be the a like who's going to represent small business in Virginia, like who's going to care about the actual Virginians working to create jobs in their community? Like, why are we selling everything to like California? Like, whatever happened to don't California my Virginia? Right? And like, why? How does our Republican governor like? Does he sell us out? Like, are we being sold out? You know, um, it sure feels that way. Um, Especially when, like, when I hear it from small business owners uh, in the community and the fact that, you know, again, that event was a Parents Matter event. That small business owner didn't get invited to that, but the candidates got invited, right? There were seven candidates at that event, that's seven seats that parents could have been there, but they put candidates there. If it was really about parents, they would have put seven small business owners or seven parents in those seats instead of the candidates. And like, that's the freaking crazy part. Um, It's like, who's going to represent us? Who's actually... like? How does Glenn know what the district needs? He can't talk with those people. That's what's like, presumably, I, I don't know where this, Uh, they live, they'd be either in Stirrup's uh, jurisdiction or Lovejoy's jurisdiction, but they should be meeting with them and they should have time with them. And those two people, those, those representatives, they should be finding those small business owners instead of attending a governor's Parents Matter com- um campaign event, you know, like, yeah, Go out and find the people that are having trouble. Go out and speak to them. Learn from them. And, you know, then go shape policy for the people who live here. But who are they listening to?
1: they to the Spirit of Virginia PAC. That's what they're listening to.
0: Well, that's what I'm told. I I, I, I asked that question. I said, if you tried to run a mailer that was, anti-cam- like, that was pro-campaign finance, like anti-PACs, do you think you could get it by? And they go, probably not, because they have final say-so over what we get printed because they pay for it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, it's just such a scary, like, just listen to those words back. Like, I don't care what party you're a part of. I don't care if your guy is winning right now. What about your children? Like, what about the next generation? How do you know the Republicans are gonna be the good guys in the future, right? How do you know the Democrats are gonna be the good guys in the future? It's all about the way the power is separated, divided, and, and spread out. And when you're doing it this way, it is dangerous. Like, regardless if your guy wins, regardless if you get the thing that you want to get right now, think about, the, what is it, Maude Flanders? somebody please think about the children? <laughs> Uh, yeah, but the event was good, you know, good conversation, really good conversation, which I enjoy. We had um a guest that was like a, a political science major, uh, in college, and uh they graduated right around COVID when COVID worked, um, so they haven't Oof. got, yeah, so it's been tough. <laughs> But uh, he enjoyed it. It was good talking with him. It's always good talking with anybody that's got, you know, read some of these things. I, you know how I like to nerd out on that. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <sighs> so what uh, What have you been up to, John? How is the baby? Oh, he's good. He's going crazy. He's got a checkup on this week. We'll see how far he's gone, but um, he will probably still be 95th, 99th percentile which means that he's probably going to be five feet, 21 inches like his old man. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. Um, well, that's good. Anything else going on in your neck of
0: the woods you want to share with the peoples?
1: No, I mean, July's off for the school board, so it's been a real nice break. Um, I mean, there's still like a little bit of email and some machinations. we got this whole unionization thing. Speaking of big uh, big groups coming in and trying to strangle the little people, like I just think teachers unions are... Um, not good for for the for the students at the end of the day but um so we'll see where that goes and um, everything will be back to normal in August and uh I've enjoyed my time off from the school this summer and now I've got to catch up on all the things I've put off um yeah things that are broken oh man isn't that fun always catching up
0: right um, so we, uh, just a reminder, we've got our great main event will be September 16th. Um, I, I think I'd said 12 to four. I think we're going to actually make it two to six, um, a little bit better timing. Um, and uh, we'll be having more information come about out about that soon. Uh, I'd like to let everybody know that I have reached out to Bill Wolf, John Stirrup and Danic Rome. Um Bill Wolf and Danica Rome have agreed to be on the podcast, which is fantastic. Local people. Um I got a verbal confirmation from both of them, Bill Wolf in person and Danica Rome over the phone, and they gave me their schedulers' emailers, emails and we've emailed them about a week ago now and we have yet to get a response. We will update everyone uh, as soon They're as probably we probably on vacation too, you know. Yeah. I mean, it, it is July. Um, so- I mean, again, we talk about local journalism. You know, there are no real debates. There's no real places asking real tough questions to politicians, like flat out. I would love to get them on the podcast, both parties, and ask them some serious questions about serious issues and see if they are serious enough to give us some answers. We had Ian Lovejoy on the pod, and I thought that was a great pod. Uh, He gave serious issues, serious uh, answers to our questions. uh, And I'd love to see that from Stirrup uh, Danic Rome and, uh, Bill Wolf, uh, had they come on. So that'll be great. I'll keep everybody posted about that. Um, in the meantime, uh, if you are looking to, f- you know, follow history or anything like that, you can subscribe to our politics and parenting sub stack and podcast. You can like, and follow us on Spotify or Apple. Is it Apple? It's just Apple, right? Not Apple iTunes. podcast, Apple podcast. And, um, Craig, our Madisonian friend, and I have started a new podcast called What the Book. Um, We're going to have monthly episodes about different books that we're reading. The first episode is out. It is about Do Androids Dream Electric Sheep? Craig and I have a very fun conversation about the book and all the different themes um, about artificial intelligence Uh, which happens to be very relevant in our society today. So uh, you can check that out. You can find it on Craig's uh, Substack, which will be linked into this episode along with um, on Spotify as well. Again, it's called What the Book. Uh, You might have to like find it and follow it in order to find it because there's a lot of what the stuff out there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then... um, I think that's it. I got anything else going on, John, that we were supposed to pub? I can't remember. You can follow me on Instagram at Jay Mayhew. I've been putting out some interesting, I like my history videos. I, for me, that's fun. Uh, you know, just given, I did a little one explaining what the gag rule is, a couple on what the spoil system is, just trying to educate people, let them know what's going on. So um, anything out there you want to promote before we uh, say goodnight to the peeps?
1: Jeff, what about your X account? my ex account <laughs> sorry I've too soon too soon people yeah I, I don't spend a lot of time on twitter anymore i tell you you know i don't know you and a lot of people i think so <laughs> no i'm just i'm, I'm looking forward to a great event, great main event um and i i look forward to seeing everyone there yep all right peace
0: and love